There are monsters in my town that do not flay or maim. Written by Decorative Gentleman. My uncle Chauncey was killed by a monster around three years back. It wasn't a rumor or a secret. It was a fact. Something everybody knew about cause, well, they saw it. But in my town, a little hamlet on the edge of West Nowhere, Oklahoma, getting killed by a monster isn't that uncommon. It didn't even make the front page of the paper, if you can believe it. On July 7, 2018, the day after Uncle Chauncey's death, page one had a bright beaming picture of Maudette Cooper holding a slice of her blue ribbon peach cobbler at the farmer's fair. As I understood it, her secret was nutmeg and a touch of Thailand chili paste for just a tickle of kick. On page two, you would have saw the headline, Local Carpenter Gutted by the Patchwork Man. Yeah, that was Chauncey. Sounds awful grim, right? But round here, we're up to our eyeballs and patchwork men and long leg harvesters and silent singers. That's our normal. They all have rules and if you know them and follow them, you survive. We cope because deep down, we know that a death like my uncle's, while tragic, was more like than not caused by something foolish he did. He died knowing which rule he broke, and we knew that he knew. Simple as that. Now, other than monsters and horrors and window tappers and coffin coffers, it's actually a nice place to call home. Folks are kindly in a way you don't see too much anymore. Folks are simple, hardworking. And at the end of the day, they go home to their families, crack a bottle in, share stories of the day around the supper table. Sometimes a tapper comes tapping, but we all know to toast to its health. Pretend to drink and never to look. A tiny hardship if you know the rules. Our biggest cause of death isn't actually monsters. It's something outtowners might relate to a bit more. Car accidents. Nothing supernatural there. Just folks driving too fast and hitting trees and such. They kill just the same as a flank or getting pressed into human noodles. But I suppose someone might see death in a car as nicer. My cousin Wallace got into one such accident a year ago, but he lived from it. I suppose you might say that he broke a rule too, that it was a lead foot that totaled his Chevrolet and put him in a hospital two towns over. But the truth of it was, he was heading to catch the birth of his daughter. His wife Eileen had gone into labor, touch early. And Wallace was still at the mill when the word got back to him. Eileen was fine, by the way. 
overstressed that Wallace taking his time. But the baby came and Eileen rubbed a blood X on little Mabel's forehead to protect her from the widow of the wood. Again, a tiny hardship. When Wallace got home, patched up by a dock with tools and scans and stuff, he said he had a dent in his heart for his Chevy, far worse than the dents in his body. Minor bumps and bruises, in other words. But he walked a little crooked, and he shut his eyes and grunted whenever he stood or sat. That was last year, a time I try to remember fondly. I remember thinking that, even as a new baby, Mabel was the prettiest little thing. She had a full head of hair, these little wispy curls and eyelashes longer than them of Jeremiah Stevens' cow, Delilah. She was perfect, and on account of Wallace's bad back, it fell to me and Eileen to do most of the playing with her. We had to follow the rules for Wallace, too. One day, he was salting his greens and had a fit of pain in his shoulder, I guess. He dropped a salt shaker, and the salt got all on the floor, and there's a roll for that. Eileen started counting, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, and the doorknob started rattling, and as I shouted for Wallace to pick up the salt and toss it behind him, he just held his shoulder and hollered for his medicine. I heard Eileen's 20 Mississippi, 21 Mississippi vanish into the bathroom. The rattling got louder. Mabel started crying, and I tried not to remember what happened to Bruce Sturgey's family when he lost his salt into a floor vent the winter I turned seven. Eileen returned on 43 Mississippi, and something about seeing that orange bottle of pills seemed to give Wallace the courage to fight the pain. He reached down, screamed like a banshee, and grabbed a pinch from the rug. 56 Mississippi, 57 Mississippi. The rattling had stopped, and I watched the doorknob slowly turning. Eileen was clutching Mabel to her chest, bawling and staring at the door, and then at Wallace. 59 Mississippi. Wallace grunted, and the doorknob snapped back to rest. He did it. He threw the salt. We were safe. But I had never seen Eileen look so scared and so angry as she did when she looked down at Wallace. That was the last day I saw my cousin alive. School had started up not long after that. And through my mama, I learned that Wallace had left the house and was staying with a friend. Better to put a grown-up's life in danger than a baby's, I suppose. I did keep in touch with him for a while. We talk on the phone and I tell him stories about Mabel and remind him to follow the rules. He said he would. He'd even thank me at first for helping out. But after a while, he'd just yammer at me for being lucky enough to see his family. Either that or he'd slip into silence on the line. 
I felt for him. I really did. Particularly when I got home from school one day and my mama gave me a brand new rule. If Wallace ever comes around, you do not let him into this house, you hear? Just tell him to go away. This one didn't feel like a tiny hardship. It felt like hanging family out to dry. But two days later, when he came knocking on the door while my mama was out, I followed the rule. He told me he had a gift for me, something special he had hidden in our house. Part of me thought that the real gift would be seeing Wallace's face. But my mama is my mama, and she gave me a rule, and in my town, rules keep you alive. So I told him to go away. After that, I didn't hear about Wallace for months. He didn't call, and when I tried his number, the line was disconnected. Well, with him vanishing like that, and no one speaking his name, I figured partly that he might have been taken by the jailer of Jacob's Junction. It was one of the monsters on the outskirts of town, one that had a train that always circled this one small loop of track. The jailer's train had a basement, though. Once you walked those stairs, you faded from the minds of all but one person in the life you left behind. It seemed to fit. But to my mind, Wallace probably hadn't killed a critter in the woods and left it there to rot. So, maybe not. You know, it's it's a hard thing to just have a person you love just disappear. I searched for Wallace in my memories, and I wondered what he'd done wrong, where he'd gone wrong, and from time to time, I'd climb up onto the roof with my daddy's old binoculars, and I'd look for him through the trees. I never saw him, though. And then... Two weeks ago, my mama told me that he died. I asked her how a dozen times before she named the monster that killed him. A new one, a new rule, another tiny hardship sat beside the grave of someone I counted as a friend. But when I asked her what the new rule was, she just shook her head and said, I don't know, sweetie. Our monsters, they all have rules. And if you know them and follow them, you survive. But what happens when the rule doesn't come to you? When those that suffered before never passed the rule along? I wondered that as I sat one pew behind little Mabel and Eileen at Wallace's funeral. They cried. I cried too but I I also worried Wallace had broken a rule without knowing it where was the foolishness where was the faith in doing right after the wake I decided to climb up on the roof and look for Wallace one 
last time. I had seen him in his coffin, but the paper didn't name the monster that killed him. All it said was, father and husband died suddenly, suddenly, as if death ever really feels expected in the moment it comes. I pant the trees, the empty spaces between. I looked for the better part of an hour, and I saw nothing. And then, as I was climbing down, my foot slipped. I fell. I felt pain in my leg and heard ringing in my ears. My mama called an ambulance and I welled the whole ride to the hospital. It was a compound fracture. A fancy way of saying your inside bones are on the outside now. That part, I understood. I had seen bones before. Blood. I coped, because I knew that bodies break, and I touched the bone so that it wouldn't get stolen by the harvester. A tiny hardship made tinier still by all the pain. But when I awoke with the cast on my leg, after the doc had patched me up and the pain was only speaking instead of screaming, I saw a nurse at my bedside. She had a shot in her hand. And she brought it to a tube coming out of my arm. It's alright, honey. This is just something to help you sleep. What is it, ma'am? It's a medicine called fentanyl. Fentanyl. The same name as the monster that had killed my cousin Wallace. And I still don't know the rules. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Here's what really happens when we die. Written by Reddit user 49. Hello Earth. 
I'm writing this today because it feels wrong not to share it. I decided to tell you, internet strangers, because the world deserves to know what really happens when we die. I'm sure you have a lot of questions and you're probably wondering how I'm writing this or why I'm conscious. I will explain everything, but first, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Steven Sterling. 46 years old I have terminal lung cancer inoperable that's probably the result of my heavy smoking habit just stay away from cigarettes okay I'll probably be dead tomorrow and no I am not dead right now in case you're wondering I just know it comes after tomorrow for me I had been afraid of death before I found out what it's like. When I first got diagnosed, I was told I had three months to live. It's the maximum, according to several doctors. That means I will be dead on January 25th, 2022. I sure hope I have enough time to at least finish this story. During those three months, I lived in fear every day and did they go by fast I couldn't stop thinking about what happens when we die it was unbearable I was just waiting for that day to finally come without actually trying to do anything a dying person would now three months have almost passed and I wasted every single day doing nothing I looked at the calendar in my room. The date was January 24th. I will most likely not make it through the night. I was lying on my bed, looking at the ceiling. I had never noticed that small crack near the chandelier. While trying to remember when was the last time I even looked up in my house, I heard a knock at the door. I was extremely confused because no one had knocked on that door for over 20 years. I was sure it was a mistake. So I continued thinking about that unimportant crack on the ceiling. I let out a sigh. I wasn't really in the mood for free samples or whatever the fuck they were selling. Although, I was wrong. When I opened the door, no one was selling anything. It was my friend, Larry, my only friend. He had found out about my situation and came to visit me. Larry? I said. He looked at me. He seemed so happy to see me. Unusually happy. Then... He hugged me. Even though it was only a hug, I had never felt more loved. We got inside and I made us a cup of tea. How did you... I asked the question partly, but he understood. Oh, I I talked to your mother. He answered and took the first sip of his tea. Yeah... I guess I should give her a call too. It's been a long time, I said. 
I reached over to grab my phone when he stopped me. You know, I'm kind of in a rush. Why not talk to your mother later? He calmly replied and took another sip of his tea. You're right. Sorry about that. That was rude. I answered. After a few minutes of silence, Larry decided to finally say something. I'm really sorry about that, Steve. Thank you, I generically replied. Have you ever wondered what happens after? He said all of a sudden. I looked at him and he was sipping his tea while looking at me. What happens after what? I asked, even though I knew what he meant. What do you think happens when we die, Steve? Silence. What a question to ask a dying person, I was thinking. I don't know. Eternal nothingness, infinite blackness, endless void. Whatever you call it, that's what happens, I said angrily. He chuckled and took yet another sip. If you had the chance to know, before it happens, would you take it? I didn't respond. I looked at my cup of tea on the table. It was still full. I hate tea. I looked around. I looked at the old clock in the living room. It's sad how it will live longer than most of us. I looked out the window. Children were playing outside. They will die too. I tried looking at the sun, knowing that it will eventually explode. I looked at the calendar on the wall. One day until the party. I wanted to cry it all out. I wanted Larry to leave. I wanted to be alone until my eternity. That feeling of fear struck me again. What's the meaning of it all? Why me? What comes after? So many questions, and yet, so little answers. Yeah, I would take the chance. I finally replied. I want to know what happens after death, Larry, I said in a quavering voice. Then, he smiled. Look out the window. I was confused again. What do you mean, Larry? I asked. Just turn around, he said, while still smiling. I turned around, and I looked through the same window. But, there weren't any kids, and there was no sun. It was the universe. I walked to the window, purple and black colors along with sparkling stars and asteroids everywhere. I felt a strong urge to go out and explore all of it. Another strange thing was, I didn't feel shocked or confused. It seemed like a promised land. Nothing strange, nothing unreal, 
I kept staring at the beautiful flow of matter. Words can't even describe it. Larry, is this what it's like? I turned around. Larry was still there, still smiling. Yeah, but it's not completely the same, he replied, and took the last sip of his tea. It's not the same, because you will no longer need to carry that flawed body around. He stood up and smiled again. I chose to say goodbye. I won't be here for long. I was a little confused. Don't worry, you'll understand soon. Until then, remember, possibilities are endless, not the void. I smiled too. I watched Larry leave my house. I turned around just to look at the world from the unique perspective one more time. But it was gone. The children were back. The sun was back. Everything went back to normal. Was that all just a dream? I looked at Larry's empty cup with a tea bag in it and smiled again. It must have not been a dream. I would never drink a cup of tea. I'm also not scared of death anymore. Now, when I know what it's like, what am I supposed to be afraid of? After several minutes of processing everything, the phone rang. It was my mom. Strange. She rarely calls. I picked up. I listened to my mother for about 15 seconds and then dropped a phone on the ground. She had news. It turns out that Larry Smith died in a car accident two days ago. Did I just talk to a dead person? No, that's not possible. Did Larry even come? That must have been a dream. Then I looked at his cup again, and I screamed. I talked to a dead person. The same feeling of fear. I felt it yet again. Wake up, wake up, wake up! I was yelling on the floor, looking at the ceiling, looking at the crack. And then, I moved my head to the left, ready to fall asleep, exhausted from all the screaming. But before I closed my eyes, I was able to see through the window one more time. And... It was back. The universe. I got up immediately and walked to the window. And I put my hand on the glass. I definitely wasn't dreaming. That was real. And that's what comes after. I was thinking about Larry. And everything he had told me. He was out there. Somewhere. I felt happy that he decided to visit his old friend during his final return to Earth. I, too, will soon be able to step outside the borders and break the limits of our bodies. 
I'm about to explore every star, every galaxy, every planet without anything pulling me behind. Who knows, maybe there's something beyond the universe itself. Something that our, again limited, brains can't even imagine nor comprehend. I wish I could share every adventure of mine after tomorrow. But that's a journey everyone has to experience on their own. Until we all meet again. I guess I should say goodbye, Earth. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.